0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I would like to talk about unexpected financial surprises. That's right, I hit the lottery. Just kidding, I didn't hit the lottery. I got a pay raise. Just kidding, I didn't get a pay raise. In fact, Today's surprise has little, really nothing to do with increase in income and cost money. So anyways, before I get rolling here, I would like to thank our sponsor, Napa Autotech Training. Napa Autotech offers three-hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutotech.com and click on the Napa Autotech class calendar link. I was sitting at work the other day, and my phone rang, it was my insurance agent, and she gives me a call in a panic. She's She is in a legitimate panic. My mortgage company had not yet paid from escrow, I paid my homeowner's insurance. And my home homeowner's insurance is all tied up, umbrellaed with auto and everything. So the problem was, is they were ready to cancel that day. And I'm kind of like, well, where was my letters? Where was my phone calls where's my emails like where's no heads up just one day hey hasn't paid yet you're out what happened she's like well because you're not paying for it the mortgage company is getting the letters now to kind of fill this out a little bit more my insurance agent is kind of an independent insurance agent maybe more like a broker where she has not affiliated with any one company. If you know what I mean, it's not like a franchise. So it gives her a lot of ability to seek different companies and insurance providers. And we had switched from one insurance company to another one rather recently. Turns out the reason the mortgage company hadn't paid yet, even though the money was there in escrow, is they were expecting me or them to get a reimbursement check from the previous insurance company. And that had not happened yet. But in any case, she's in a panic because my insurance, if it gets canceled, I'm going to have a very difficult time finding insurance, or at least economical, if you will, insurance because it got canceled due to lack of payment. Does not look good. Even though it wasn't my fault, doesn't look good. So she's like, do you think you can cover this, you know, make this payment today so your insurance doesn't get canceled? And it's a few thousand bucks. And luckily, I said I could. I had the money and savings in a fund just for this occasion. Just kidding. But just, you know, as a backup, as a, an emergency fund. You know, she's relieved. Give her the details to get it paid. It all goes through. You know, everybody's happy except me because now I'm broke. Just kidding. No, I'm not kidding. I was broke. I was broke to begin with but I guess I I couldn't help but ask, why were you so stressed out about this? What horse do you have in this race? She said that not in similar circumstances, but in circumstances where people have to come up with money, a lot of times they don't have it. And, you know, I live in a very small town, you know, we weren't naming names or anything like that, but there's a you know, an area, if you will, of town that's a little more, if you would say, upscale. And I'm talking, the town has about a thousand residents. Okay, so it's, don't want to anyone to have their imagination go running on this. But I guess you would say households that you would expect to be able to shoulder a burden. It turns out, almost sixty percent of Americans cannot handle a thousand dollar emergency. Six out of 10 people, think about that. Six out of 10 don't have a $1,000 either in a savings account or even clear on a credit card, which is a horrible idea. But just to give you an idea, that's insane. That is absolutely insane. So luckily I had the money, paid it, all's well. Thank you for listening. That's the episode. I'm just kidding. It brings up a discussion, though, how important it is to have a basic emergency fund set aside that we could talk about various financial gurus, if you will, or at least authors. They will tell you to have some sort of an emergency fund. And usually the number is a thousand bucks. That's what I ha- have had in the past. That's what I started with. It was a random number for me. It turned out that is often a number suggested by a number of these, you know, we'll just call them financial gurus. If you don't have it, it's really important to get it set up as soon as you can. And by any means necessary, legally. Okay. I don't need to be knocking over liquor stores or gas stations or anything like that, but cleaning out the garage, having a yard sale, cleaning out the house, making use of Facebook marketplace, making use of eBay, making use of a great number of apps, if you will, for selling clothes or whatnot. There's a bunch of them. So you can start liquidating possessions to get this money or picking up a few hours at work. You know, sit down and talk to your boss, talk to your manager, explain the situation. If you have that the type of a relationship with them that you, you need to start making some decisions financially building up an emergency fund and, you know, stuff like that. See if there's something they can do with, you know, extra hours, some side projects. You know, otherwise, if you have to, some part-time jobs that I would think is worst-case scenario, we can probably all clear out our house and our garage and come up with a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks. That would be a really wise move by most of us. I would heavily suggest doing that. And then... After that, depending on your debt, you know how you're sitting on debt, specifically credit cards, would probably determine what your next move is. If you really don't have credit card debt, you don't really have much for debt, period, the idea would be to expand that emergency fund beyond a thousand bucks into roughly three to six months of your expenses. That's kind of what we had. That's why we could afford this surprise was that we have little over three months expenses, sitting in an account. It's at the bank. It's even labeled emergency. We don't touch it. It started out there was no minimum balance. They might have put a minimum balance on it now, but they all know that if we had to use it for that, you just close the account anyways and not incur any penalties. The whole idea is you don't really touch it unless you absolutely have to. And so in this case, my case, I should say, spending that money was somewhat temporary in that that first insurance company that was supposed to send a reimbursement check to me or the mortgage company totally dropped the ball. They didn't even process it. So that money is coming back and I'll be able to put that rate back in. I guess in this case, fortunately, no harm, no foul. Unfortunately, also in a lot of people's cases, that would have been brutal. And now They're trying to find insurance. Their rates are probably going to go through the roof, and it may not even be their fault. For 98 years, the NAPA name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. NAPA has the solution by making NAPA Auto Tech training available near you. Napa Autotech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technicians' knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind... NAPA Autotech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of NAPA Autotech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, NAPA Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what NAPA Autotech offers, contact NAPAautotech.com. If you do have a bunch of credit cards, and a bunch, it could even be one with a large balance on it, the best thing you can do, the highest return on investment you can give yourself within reason, I mean, short of getting really lucky at the casino or just having a good run on the stock market or something, there's very few things you're going to do where the return on investment is going to be as high as paying off a credit card with over 15, 20% interest. So if you get your emergency fund built up, which as a side note, I should bring up, if you don't have one, you know, it works if you're by yourself, but if you're in a relationship, having that emergency fund, it's an amazing way of reducing stress. Like you can just watch people's stress levels drop when they have a little bit of that money there, not to be touched unless you absolutely need it. That's kind of a safety net. It's a real load off people's shoulders. but also. Back to the interest rates, there's not much you're going to do with that type of return on investment. So getting that paid off, everything you can do to get that paid off as soon as possible. Again, if that means continued yard sales, if that means liquidating possessions, if that means picking up a part-time job, whatever you got to do to get that paid off, and the faster the better. And if you have like a mountain of debt, namely credit card debt, high interest, you may really have to consider talking to your banker about, you know, home equity lines of credit, something to at a much lower interest rate, get them paid off. And then for crying out loud, don't go use them again. Don't go and get a line of credit, pay them all off, have this, whatever payment that is lower than you were paying minimums on all the credit cards together and then go start maxing them out again. I mean, come on use our heads a little bit here. So there is logic in getting them paid off with a much lower interest rate loan. Otherwise, if that's really not an avenue you want to take or can take, there's two real, I would say, schools of thought. One is pure logic and the other one's more psychological. From a purely logical standpoint, if you have multiple credit cards, you take the one with the highest interest rate, And you pay as much as you possibly can out of your budget. The other credit cards, you pay the absolute bare minimums. Pay the minimums on those, and then you throw everything extra you can at this other credit card until you get it paid off. So let's just, for an example, the whole bunch of BS numbers, you have three credit cards. The minimums on them all are $200, and you have it in your budget that after all these minimums, you have an extra $300 a month. So the credit card with the highest interest rate, you're going to throw a 500 a month at that guy. You're going to pay the minimums on the other two until that the one with the highest is paid off. Then you take that $500 that you were paying on there and you go to the casino. No, I'm just kidding. You take that 500 bucks and you put it against the next one, the next highest interest rate. And now you have essentially $700 a month you're throwing at that one. Paying the minimum on the other and you get rid of that guy. And by get rid of, I don't mean pay it off and close the account. I don't think that's the right move because there is a benefit to having that credit extended to you. There is some reasons to keep them open. Just don't use them or use them very sparingly. Buy some stuff, small stuff, either pay them off or you know, make some payments on them for a couple months, pay them off, right? There's some logic to that, but again, don't want to get yourself back in trouble with this. I think the first things first is you get them paid off. So get that second one paid off. You've been paying 700 a month on that one, 200 on the last one. Now you have 900 a month to be attacking this last credit card until it's gone. I mean, that is highest rate of return. As you can possibly get, and now when you get those three paid off, you take that money and you start building up this emergency fund from a thousand dollars to three to six months of your monthly expenses. All right, so if you figure it out, your monthly expenses are five grand a month, you want 15 to thirty thousand dollars in a savings account. Easier said than done, but worth it when you have it, because you know what happens if one of you gets sick? What happens if you get hurt? What happens if we have another COVID-esque type situation? What if you get laid off? So many what ifs, all right? It kind of comes back to that failing the plan is planning to fail, right? Bad things happen. You're almost guaranteed to have something bad happen. It, it sucks to think about, but statistically, you're going to have something bad happen Every so often. So you try to stack the odds in your favor. That's what it's all about. Stack the odds in your favor. How can I stack the odds in my favor? I can weather the storm. I can be as prepared as I can be for it. I think those are reasonable ways to brace for such a thing. The other school of thought, other than the, you know, pure logic one is more psychological. And that's where you pick the credit card with the lowest balance, meaning you don't care so much about the interest rate because they're all high. But if you pick the one that's maybe, you know, quite a bit lower balance, just for numbers, just for BS numbers, you've got two credit cards that are over $5,000 balances. And then you have the one that's a couple thousand. It's amazing how your motivation can be maintained or even increased if you start paying the smaller balance one first, even if it has the lowest interest rate, it's the same theory though. Minimum payments are still $200 a month. Your budget is $300 above that. So now you throw 500 a month at that $2,000 credit card. You have it paid off in four months. It's gone. And that can be really uplifting, even though it's, you know, logically flawed psychologically it can be quite powerful and you're going to have to really look into yourself what it's going to take to motivate you to do it. And if seeing a result like that is very important to you or your significant other or the both of you, you got to do it what's going to work. If that means throwing everything you have at that smaller balance credit card and getting it gone so that now you can take 700 a month and start hitting the bigger balanced ones, it's still leading to the same thing. You're going to get this stuff paid off and paying it off as fast as you can. It's going to open up a lot of things for you, allowing you to prepare for the unexpected. And it's, again, it just blows my mind that if you're walking around, six out of 10 people wouldn't be able to do it. And I got to believe that will translate into our world as auto repair. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's slightly less that more of us would be capable of handling it because hopefully things are changing for the better with us, that our incomes are going up, our expendable incomes are going up via better compensation or higher compensation. More and more shops are taking on a lot of the tool financial load. So we don't have to do that. That increases our expendable income. It's just like a pay raise. So I'm hoping that's what the reality is, that our situations are improving. You can spend more than you can make, okay? So we gotta own up our end. I'm not saying everybody is properly compensated or hopefully more and more of us are. You can get paid an awful lot of money and still spend it. You're gonna have to take some personal responsibility, all right, it's not always you're getting the shaft. A lot of us, we're getting the shaft. Some of us still are getting the shaft. Some of us are shafting ourselves, okay? You're gonna have to, Come to terms with that. That's the reality. I know I'm a broken record, but just got to be honest. It sucks sometimes. You got to be honest with yourself. You can do that, level with yourself, find out, okay, you know, start cutting some of this here and yeah, I overspent there and all this. Put yourself on the path, stacking the odds, starting to stack the odds in your favor. This also extends up beyond just, you know, emergency funds and credit card debt, stuff like that. It's also the tool truck. There's a couple at least, maybe probably more, of different vendors. You know, they are going to have the deal of a lifetime, but you're going to go on their credit program. And I don't think it's the credit program on the truck. Usually the truck accounts are zero interest. Sometimes they want to get it off their plate. It's not the truck account. They want the company that they're franchised with to shoulder the debt, that burden. So, you know, they're going to sugarcoat it for you. Just, you know, be careful. If you're going on the truck and you're want to buy some stuff and it's usually gonna be big, toolbox, scan tool, you know, a bunch of tools at first, you're just getting started. They're gonna show you how low that payment could be, but you start really digging and you're gonna find out it's essentially a credit card with no credit card. It's essentially a line of credit, fairly high interest rate. It doesn't make sense. You just really watch it. It doesn't make sense. Then it's time to go to the boss the manager, and have a heart-to-heart. Like I said, I think more and more shops are starting to shoulder the burden of equipment. And I know there's a lot of old-school thoughts out there, not just owners. Like, this is not just aimed at ESOs. That this is, you know, text too. Old-school. I'm buying them. They're mine. And I get it. We used to be able to write these off and get some benefit beyond just they're ours. We don't get that anymore. I think it at least is a reasonable conversation. Nobody's emotions have to get tied up into it. It's a very reasonable, logical conversation to have with management about tool expenses and who, they, who should incur them and how that should work. And I'm gonna tell you, different shops, different owners are gonna handle things differently. And it's worth everyone's time to do the research on who, not so much who, but how the different, shop managers, shop owners handle that. All right. Cause you're going to have very widespread ways of doing so. Some of it, the shop buys it all. There's the shop tools. You use the shop tools, please respect them. And I'm good with that. There's other shop owners out there that they buy the tools, but they're yours. All right. And I'm not saying what's better or worse or anything, but that's kind of the scope of things. And I suppose the other end of the spectrum is, uh, no, you buy your own tools. There's, I think, logic to have this conversation. The shop can see that because of the certain benefits of them purchasing them and taking that load, that financial load off of you, that's basically giving you a pay raise that just increased your expendable income. So kind of saying, depending on what your situation is with tools and equipment, you may want to consider having this conversation with them with management, see where it goes. And then here's to everyone building up those emergency funds and not being in that 60%. That's what I'm hoping. All of us are not in that 60%. That's for somebody else. That will wrap up this episode. I do want to thank everyone for the well wishes. Quick update on Danielle is I would say there's some marginal improvement. She has not been using oxygen at all. The air quality is, you know, fairly bad. It's kicking her tail quite a bit, but uh, not on oxygen. She's been going to work the whole time. We'll get winded with some activity, not even necessarily strenuous. Extended walking, walking up inclines, a couple flights of stairs will be enough to wipe her out pretty good. And by wipe out, I mean very akin to being very high altitude when you're not used to it and trying to catch your breath. Like you just feel like you can't get a good breath in. And so that that's kind of what she's going through. But I would say it's improving. So I'm hoping that continues. Like I said, your guys' thoughts and well wishes and everything, are it means so, so very much. So I really can't thank you enough. I really can't thank you enough for listening. And I really would like to thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for making this all possible. Until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.